Well, good morning, everybody. Hey, it's a great day to be in church. If you're watching online as well, thank you so much for joining us there. We're really glad that you're part of the service this morning. Man, I hope that you had a great Thanksgiving. I don't know if maybe you rolled into church this morning, you're feeling it a little bit, you got uh, some of the sleepy vibes with you after eating all that food. I had some delicious Italian food for Thanksgiving every year, that's how it is, and you know how it works too, right? Like my people told me growing up, uh, man, your family makes such delicious food. And as a kid, you don't know or care about that. You just want like Doritos and ice cream, really. That's all you want. And so then when you get older and you don't live at home anymore, and then you have that amazing, delicious food, then you realize, you know, uh, how lucky you were, how blessed you were. I think this was the first year, too, that actually I had more dessert than I had like regular food. We had some great food at, at, our, at our Thanksgiving this year. But I want to know, actually, how many of you can identify with that? I want some audience participation as we get started with the message this morning. Can you identify with that idea as we talk about gratitude this morning? Can you identify with this idea? Have you ever experienced a greater sense of gratitude after you lost something or you were at risk of losing it? Right? Like, how many people in the room, you can raise your hand, you understand what that means. Like, I had a greater sense of gratitude. Yeah, all over the room, right? Even, and online, too. You can write that in there. After I was no longer living at home, I realized how great my parents' cooking was and how much I loved it. How about this? I got another one for us. How many of us in the room, and same thing, you can raise your hand, you felt a noticeable difference in your life when you intentionally practiced gratitude Versus when you neglected it, when you didn't think about it, you noticed a difference in your life, right? When you practice gratitude, hands all over the room. I think we know those truths, and as we've been in this series, you know, we've discussed this. And so it's so important that on this Thanksgiving weekend, we continue, as we conclude, we continue this series of gratitude, what our society has already done, Thanksgiving's behind us, and so now we move on to consumerism. Now I move on to all the things I don't have. Now I make my list. Now I think about how my life could be better in another month or so if I get all these things I want. That's what our world has done. But when we think about the reality of gratitude, the difference it makes, it may actually make this message a little more important this weekend as we reflect on what God has done. And so in this gratitude series, I loved uh, this series. It's been great. Week one talked about how Noah, the first thing that he did after the flooding of the earth, the first thing he does is build an altar The first thing after experiencing a worldwide pandemic, if you will, the first thing he does is give thanksgiving to God. Wow, that is powerful. And last week's message, I don't know if you were paying attention, but it definitely shot me in the heart. That's what last week's message was, how grumbling is the nemesis of gratitude. And it's so much easier for us to focus on what we don't have, so much easier for us to complain about how things are not the way we want them to be right? There's a long list of things you can complain about, but we talked about that's the nemesis of gratitude. And I love what Pastor Jeff said, uh, we we become what we behold. If that's what we focus on, that's what we behold is grumbling and complaining. That's what we start to become after a while. And so we want to practice gratitude. And so uh, really excited for the opportunity to preach this morning. Uh, Week three today, kind of the whole big idea, today's message is called fullness of life. And the big idea for the message this morning is that gratitude leads to fullness of life. Gratitude leads to fullness of life. 
This is perhaps one of my favorite scriptures in all of the Bible, John 10.10. This is Jesus' mission statement. Jesus says this, The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life, or a life, a life to the full, a rich and abundant life. A full, rich, satisfying life is the kind of life that Jesus wants to give you. A life of joy of peace, of the presence of God, a life of purpose. That's the kind of life that Jesus wants to give you. And one of the essential ingredients to obtaining that kind of life, one of the essential ingredients is gratitude. Gratitude leads to fullness of life. So when Jesus in John 10, 10, when he's describing this full life, the life the divine life he wants to give to us, he's not describing a life of material blessings, right? Jesus is not talking about Black Friday deals and Cyber Monday steals, right? That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about bigger and better. He's not talking about, I don't have any problems in my life. In John uh, 16, 33, he says, you're going to have problems in this life. This is what he says, you're going to have problems, John 16, 33, but take heart, I've overcome the world. He's not talking about that. I was reading, Pastor Jeff, I was reading Oswald Chambers this week, and he wrote, um, he wrote, what Jesus gives us is an internal coherence, an internal coherence, a sense of spiritual harmony, a sense of peace and satisfaction that has nothing to do with external conditions, external expectations that we have around other people, our relationships, our spouses, gratitude is the key ingredient to living out this fullness of life. And so when you're ungrateful to God, right, of course, you're focusing on what you don't have. Well, my life could be better. I, I, I wish I had a newer car or a bigger house or a better job. I wish my spouse wasn't this way. I wish we could just live somewhere else, right? When you're ungrateful to God, you're focusing on all the things that you don't have. And here's the deal. When you're focusing on what you don't have, even when your external circumstances are, are actually not bad, and even when your external circumstances aren't changing at all, you feel a sense of instability. You feel a sense of insecurity when you're focusing on what you don't have. Everything in your life is totally stable. Everything in your life is okay, but you're focusing on what you don't have. And so we want to be grateful we don't have this sense of peace because our our uh, focus is off. And of course, there's lots of distractions to our gratitude, uh, to having that kind of grateful heart. There's distractions. There's even our pride or our ego that I'm the one that has provided. I'm the one that earned the money. I'm the one that created this opportunity. So these are things sometimes that can take away our gratitude from God. I did it myself, our schedule. But gratitude leads to fullness of life. That's what we're talking about. So I want to read a story that really illustrates this. I believe this is one of the main things, actually, that the story is teaching. The story, a famous story about Jesus, you might be familiar with it in Luke chapter 17. You can turn to it if you have a Bible. It'll also be on the screen. Luke chapter 17. This is a story in the New Testament, a story about Jesus, and it takes place, yes, in the Gospel of Luke. And here's kind of the next thing that I'd like to share as we are looking at the message this morning. Gratitude is an essential attitude of God's kingdom, right? You know, uh, we got to have that attitude of gratitude, right? Well, when we talk about being members of God's kingdom, we talk about being followers of Jesus, being a Christian. 
Gratitude is an essential attitude of God's kingdom. And so Luke chapter 17, let's read it. We start in verse 11 here. As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, 10 men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell down to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Let's back up as we look at this passage. What's going on here? Famous passage, uh, famous healing that Jesus done, uh, has done, the cleansing of the 10 lepers. So first of all, we're in the Gospel of Luke, right? And so in the Gospel of Luke, it starts out, Jesus continued on his journey toward Jerusalem. As you're reading the Gospel of Luke, it's chronological in the ministry of Jesus. That's how it's arranged. And Jesus is, is going to Jerusalem, right? That he, he's constantly, I have to go to Jerusalem to complete my mission, And his mission, of course, is to die on the cross, to save us from our sins. That's the mission of Jesus. And so Luke chapter 17, we're getting close now. Jesus is getting close. And in this body, this section of the the gospel of Luke, now Jesus is starting to share essential attributes, essential attitudes that make the kingdom of God different. And this is one of the stories. And so that's why one of the things to remember, gratitude is an essential attitude of God's kingdom. That's exactly where Luke, the author, places this story. And so Jesus, he's on his way to Jerusalem. Gratitude's an essential attitude of God's kingdom. It says that he sees these 10 men with leprosy standing outside the village. And so if you look in the book of Leviticus, according to Jewish law, what that would have meant, leprosy, sometimes it's talking about a specific skin condition. Sometimes it's a little bit more general in the Bible, kind of depends on the, the story or the context. But either way, when you were sick or you were diseased, you had something on your skin, you had to quarantine from everybody else so that you don't affect them. In a quarantine, we all know what that's like, right? You have COVID, you get a cough, what do we do now? You got to quarantine. So we understand this idea. They've got leprosy, they have to quarantine from everybody. And as people pass by on the road and they see you, you're supposed to shout, according to the Bible, you're supposed to shout loudly, let them know, hey, I have leprosy. Hey, stay away. It's kind of like when we wear a mask. Hey, just in case, I just want you to know I'm not feeling good or we got to keep our distance right now. It's the same thing. So they're shouting, they're shouting, hey, watch out, we're sick, we don't feel good, you're not supposed to be near us. But they shout something a little different, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. They know who Jesus is. So they're shouting, just like the Bible says they're supposed to, and Jesus says to show themselves to the priest, again, according to the Bible, once they're healed or they're cleansed or the sickness is over, they have to go to the priest who ritually declares them clean, okay, you're all good now, you can enter the community. It's just like your doctor clearing you, right? We, We feel kind of divorced from the Bible, but, you know, sometimes it's actually a little closer to home than maybe we think. And so that's what's going on. So Jesus says, you know what, go show yourselves to the priest, but... Notice the order that this happens. Were they healed and then they showed themselves to the priest? No, it's the reverse. Jesus says, 
hey, I know you guys have leprosy. Why don't you go show yourselves to the priests? And as they were going, they were healed. As they took that step of faith, they knew who Jesus was. They asked Jesus for his healing touch, his his power, his miraculous power. Jesus said, do this thing. They believed him. And as they went, now they were healed. They took this step of faith. Incredible, amazing story. But what are we focusing on today? One of them came back and thanked God. And this person who came back, what does it say he was? This man was a, a Samaritan. And so those of us who have been in church, you probably are familiar. Jews and Samaritans, they don't get along. Jews regarded Samaritans as half-breeds, as blasphemers. You're not part of our community. We don't have anything to do with you. And so the man who seems farthest away from God, the Samaritan, he's not allowed to come to Jerusalem to worship. He's not allowed to do this and that. The Samaritan who seems farthest from God is actually the one who comes back and is closest to Jesus in this story. That's why Luke is telling us this. And as he went, he was thanking Jesus. Similar, uh, it's the word Eucharisto, similar to Eucharist. He's giving thanks. He's giving grace, thanksgiving to Jesus. But here's the next thing that we see in the story. Here's perhaps probably the biggest key, I would say, to, uh, to, to this passage of Scripture for our purposes today. Gratitude unlocks Christ's fullness. Gratitude leads to fullness of life, right? So gratitude, it unlocks Christ's fullness. Jesus says, man, where did everybody go? I guess you're the only guy, huh? This foreigner will stand up and go, your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. Now, some people get a little overexcited about this, and they think, okay, so I just need to have enough faith. Just, just relax for a second. Uh, it depends on what your translation says. It says your faith has healed you. Your translation may also say your faith has saved you. And so which one is it? Is it your faith healed you or your faith saved you? Which one is it supposed to be? The answer is, is yes. That's the answer. It's, it's both of them. It's the Greek word sozo. That Greek can be translated save deliver or restore. And so did the other 10 men miss out on a healing? No, we know they were all healed, weren't they? Well, then why did Jesus say to this one person, your faith healed you or your faith saved you? Because Jesus is describing the fullness of life that he got to participate in. Jesus is describing the divine life from God. The other nine men received a miracle from God. That's uh, you, you can't argue that. They received a miracle. They received a healing. But this one man, the Samaritan, the man who seemed farthest away from God, is the one that was actually closest to God because of his gratitude, he participated in fullness of life, the fullness that Jesus had for him. Gratitude, it's an essential attitude of God's kingdom, and gratitude unlocks the fullness of life. When we talk about having gratitude and it leading to fullness of life, you know, uh, Pastor Jeff pointed out, you know, there's psychological benefits to gratitude, right? We, we said that, hey, when I focus on gratitude, my life's a little better. We, we said that, you, a lot of you raised your hand in the beginning of the message. We know that that's true. But we're talking more right now, more than just some chemicals going on in our brain making us feel good. That, I mean, that's great. I mean, I'm all for it. Right? But we're talking about something deeper, though. When we're grateful to God, we participate in the divine life, in the rich, full, abundant, satisfying life that Jesus is talking about. Greater than an external circumstance. Greater than my situation turning out the way that I want it to be. 
greater than receiving a healing or not receiving a healing. I can have that divine life that Jesus is describing when I have that gratitude towards Christ. And so as we continue to think about this passage, you know, as we, as we think about it, you kind of meditate on this a little bit, you kind of realize what's, what's going on here. All 10 of these guys received a healing. All 10 of these guys received a miracle. All 10 of these guys had Jesus work supernaturally in their life, but only one of them had gratitude. You know what that means? That it's possible to live a life of faith without any gratitude. It's possible to live a life where you know God and you see him work and you miss out on the divine life that he has for you. Do you catch that? Do you see how powerful that is? You can have God do healings and miracles and you can have faith and miss out on the life that God wants you to live. (laughs) That's crazy. You know, the Bible talks about this. It actually talks about this. In this passage, what we see is what we could call a practical atheism. A practical atheism. So what's atheism, right? Atheism is the belief that there's no God. God doesn't exist, right? So all 10 of these guys, they all know that God's real. They all asked Jesus for a healing. They all had faith that Jesus had the power, and they all got it. Wow, that's amazing. But pra- so there's, they believe in God, but on a practical level, their lives practically were like an atheist. They were living out a practical atheism. What do we see here? They experienced the healing power of Jesus, but without thanksgiving, we see an atheism of the heart, an atheism of the heart going on in this passage. These guys received what they wanted from God, and they didn't give him glory. That's exactly what Jesus says. Didn't the other nine, oh, weren't there other, nine other guys that were here? Only one of them returned to give glory to God. Only the foreigner, only the guy who's really far away from God, only the guy who thinks he's far from God, he's the guy who's closest. All these guys who think they're close to God, they didn't come back. These nine lepers, they responded with their lips, but one leper responded with his heart. And so to have an atheism of the heart, it's to know God and to choose not to glorify him as God. It's to accept God's grace, to accept his healing and his provision, his goodness in our life, but not to acknowledge him, not to acknowledge that it comes from him, not to focus on what he's given us, but focus on what we're missing. An atheistic heart has no obligation to show a response to God for what he's freely given us. We believe in God who freely gives. We accept his gifts, but we don't express thanksgiving to him. We just think we're owed. We think we're deserved, and we miss out on this divine life. Verse 19, Jesus says to one man, the man who had gratitude and thanksgiving, hey, your faith healed you. Your faith saved you. You got the divine life. You had the rich and satisfying life. The Bible, comes, the Bible kind of presses hard on this, on this idea of like a practical atheism, knowing God, but, but not really glorifying him. Here's what it says in Romans chapter 1. This is another great verse of the Bible, Romans 1.20. Great verse. It says, since the, creation, since the world was created, people have seen the earth, the sky, through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, 
and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. We're going to continue to read this passage. Here's what it says. They knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. Instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols, made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. The atheistic heart trades an attitude of gratitude, an attitude of thanksgiving for a meme, myself, and my attitude, right? That kind of mindset. It's just about me, myself, and I. That's what an attitude, uh, that's what an atheistic heart is like. And like Pastor Jeff said, we become what we behold. Or another way maybe of saying it too is we, we, we um, I just want to tell you, we will we'll wander towards what we worship. We wander towards what we worship. We become what we behold. If we're constantly thinking about what we don't have, if we're constantly grumbling, if we're comparing ourselves all the time, if we're complaining all the time, that's kind of what we become. That's what we worship. That's what we go towards. And we have an atheism of the heart when we're thankless. And so what are some things in your life as we're here, you know, kind of parked this Sunday morning, even watching online today, what are some things in your life maybe you didn't get around thanking God for yet? And, and it'd be great for you to do so. God, thank you for my family. Hey, God, you know, thank you for my job. It's a little unstable right now. I, I, I kind of was hoping something else was going to work out. But, you know, hold on a second. God, thank you that I have a job and I can pay the bills right now. Thank you that I have a home and I have a roof under my head. Thank you that I was able to graduate and go to school and I passed with great grades. What are things that you didn't thank God for yet that you need to thank him for while we're here talking about this? The atheistic life, it trades thanksgiving but it also trades the truth for a lie, the atheistic life. And so in this passage, we see atheism of the heart and we see an atheism of the life when we're living a lie. Now, this is a crazy story. I have heard this before. I don't know if you are familiar with this story in World War II. I want to tell you about Lieutenant Onada. Lieutenant Hiro Onada, he was deployed to Lubang Island in the Philippines in 1944 And he he was ordered by his commanding officer, Major Yoshimi Taniguchi, not to surrender under any circumstances. His commanding officer said, it may take three years, it may take five years, but we will come back for you no matter what. That's what his commanding officer says, fight to the death. And so that's what he and his men did. Unfortunately, him and the couple soldiers that were with them were cut off from communication, and so they were not aware that World War II had ended, that Japan had surrendered. And so if you're familiar with World War II, all over the Pacific Ocean, leaflets were dropped from airplanes saying, hey, the war's over, the war's over. But uh, Commander or Lieutenant Onada and his men believed it was enemy propaganda. You can't believe that. They're trying to get us to surrender. And for 29 years, he lived in the Philippines with his men, fighting a war he believed was still going on. Over those 30 years, about 30 villagers on the island were killed in skirmishes with police forces. Over the years, everyone in his, in his unit that was with him died. He was the lone survivor over these 30 years as he fought this war by himself. It wasn't until 1974 that his commanding officer traveled to the Philippines personally 
to relieve him of his duty. Now, Onada, he returned to Japan. He was hailed as a hero. He had this amazing patriotism and loyalty. It was like he was a samurai of old. You know, there was something prideful and wonderful that the country of Japan celebrated, that this man had incredible devotion. And I mean, I wouldn't want to make him feel bad either. The guy was there for 30 years, right, fighting a war. But he returned to a world that he didn't know anymore. He returned to a world of skyscrapers and automobiles and TV. He felt like he didn't belong. He was totally out of place when he came back. And while he was celebrated as a hero, his false belief, he lived a lie. And he believed something that was so, he believed it so much that it completely distorted his reality. Uh, there was a student, the, the, he was discovered by a student in 1974. The student flew there to the Philippines, believed he was alive. He was declared dead in 1954. The student flew there and said, hey, hey, I'm, I'm from Japan. The war's over. He still wouldn't believe this guy. He had to have his commanding officer come. And so when we live a lie, it can distort our reality. Even though the rest of the world is going on around us, we can live that way as well. This is exactly what Romans 1 continues to describe. Romans 1, verse 24. So God abandoned them. When we, don't, we know God, but we won't worship Him, we refuse to give Him thanks. God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. To believe the lie is to reject the truth about God. And so atheism of the heart is to get is thanklessness. Atheism of the life is to live a lie, to live in a reality that we've made up for ourselves, that things are not what they really are, that other things will satisfy me, that if I had a little more money, I'd be okay. If I had a little bit more money in my retirement, I'd be fine. If I had a little bit more money saved up in the bank, I'd be okay. If I had a better job, if I was happier in my nine to five, if I could just get weekends off, then I'd be happier then everything would be okay. I'd be satisfied. If uh, Believing that my personal comfort is what's going to satisfy me. If I could just be home, get a couple days off, sip some hot chocolate, put a blanket up, and just do that for my whole life, then I'd be really happy if that's what I could do. My relationships, if only I could find a girlfriend. Once I get married, once I have a boyfriend or a girl, whatever. Once we have kids, finally, then we'll be satisfied together. Everything will be okay. These are the lies sometimes that we believe that this is the thing that will satisfy Jealousy, the grass is always greener. Once, uh, you know, whatever these things are, even experiences or things we could be addicted to, those are the things that satisfy. Romans 1, it's describing people who know God. And so I know what the rest of the passage says. Don't think about, if you're thinking about someone else right now, oh, oh yeah, there's someone else this really applies to. I'm talking about you right now. God's word's talking about you. It's saying, if you know God and you don't worship him and you don't give him thanks, you're in trouble. And so we're thinking about ourselves, we're reflecting on ourselves. It's an atheism of the heart, an atheism of the life. And so gratitude leads to fullness of life. Thanksgiving to God, it restores reality. When we have thanksgiving to God, that's what restores reality. Instead of living in this false world that we've created, living in these lies that we've created. Romans chapter 1 continues, and then he goes into Romans chapter 2, the Apostle Paul. He says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, patient God is with you. Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see 
that his kindness is intended to turn you away from your sin. And here's what Romans 12, 2 says. Again, amazing passage of scripture. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And so instead of copying the behaviors of the world, our world wants to move on to consumerism, Our world has patterns. You and I have patterns. I I have patterns of complaining. You and I have patterns of complaining. We have patterns of comparison. Those are the patterns that the world gives us. It's not good. I wish I could travel more. I wish this, whatever. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world and let God transform you. It's something that God has to do. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to help change the way we think, to help us get over these patterns that we've created and create new healthy patterns of gratitude and thanksgiving. It's something we have to continually do. And so what do I want you to do this morning? I don't actually have this one on the screen, but here's, this is a great one to write down. We want to be a people that gravitate towards gratitude. <laughs> gravitate towards gratitude. Can you look at your neighbor and repeat that? Say, Gravi- gravitate towards gratitude. Gravitate towards gratitude. I think that's a great thing to remember, if we can be a people that gravitate towards gratitude. Here's the two last thoughts I have for you real quick, and then we'll wrap up this morning. Romans 125, they traded the truth for a lie. How can I gravitate towards gratitude? How can I be somebody who gravitates towards gratitude and thanksgiving? One is this, find the fibs. <laughs> find the fibs. Identify the lies that you believe. Anybody watch VeggieTales growing up? Remember uh, Larry Boy and the giant fib? You know that one? Yeah, so right, instead of allowing the fib to grow and grow and grow and get bigger, identify the lies. What are the lies that we believe? They traded the truth of God for a lie. What are some of the lies that we believe? Uh, right, I got a list on the screen. These are some, maybe this is one you're struggling with. And I, again, I'm not saying that none of us have problems. I know that, I, know, I don't know what everybody's dealing with. I know what some of us in the room are dealing with. I'm not saying pretend you don't have any problems. That's not what I'm saying. But identify the lies that we believe. That like, uh, right, what do we have here? That I provided. It, it wasn't God, it was me. Or I have nothing to be thankful for. I have nothing to be thankful for. How can I be thankful? Uh, God's holding out on me. Or I'm not sinning. I'm not doing anything wrong. God doesn't care what I do. Because I had a miracle, God approves of everything in my life. I'm fine. I don't have to apologize. Or I'm too far away from God. God can't. He's not going to help me. He doesn't want to help me. Those are lies that sometimes we believe. So find the fibs. What are the fibs? We want to gravitate towards gratitude. Find the fibs and replace it with grace. Replace it with grace. What does our passage say in Luke 17? uh, When the man came back, he saw he was healed. He said, praise God. Praise God. He gave praise to God. And then he says, uh, he came to Jesus' feet thanking him. That word, the Greek word, eucharisto, charis, grace. He gave him thanksgiving, grace, replace those lies with grace. And so take a look at your life. What are some of those lies that we believe? I'm the one that provides. I'm the one that works hard. I'm the one that brings home the paycheck. Actually, it's God who gave you the opportunity. God is the one that provides. I've got nothing to be thankful for. Actually, I've got everything to be thankful for. If you're not dead, God's not done if you're alive and breathing. God has saved me from my sin. Man, maybe I need to confess some sin. Maybe there's something I need to own up to. God, he is the judge, but also miracles are meant to increase my faith, not my ignorance. So even when I receive a healing, even when I see God work, I'm still going to come and submit my life to the Lord. God is near to me even when I feel like he's far to me, knowing it's a lie that God is far from me. It's true that God is close to me and cares for me. 
that, man, God won't do anything for me. God doesn't want to help me. God won't love me. I feel like I'm so far from God. That's why I love this passage, too. It was the Samaritan, the man who was farthest from God, who ended up being closest to Jesus. Jesus went to the cross for you. God gave his one and only son because of his great love for you. And so I want to invite Pastor Bonnie to come as we begin to wrap up this morning. It's the Holy Spirit that does this work in us. We said that gratitude leads to fullness of life. The life that Jesus describes in John 10.10, a rich, satisfying life, not dependent on external things, but a peace, a purpose, and a satisfaction that Jesus gives us. Gratitude, it's an essential attitude of God's kingdom. For those of us who are Christians, those of us who follow God, it's important that we don't lose this because we don't want to have an atheism of the heart. We don't want to have an atheism of the life where we live a lie that we've constructed that isn't true. Thanksgiving and gratefulness, more than just a chemical reaction in our brain, but it actually restores reality when we're thankful to God for what he's done. And so what do we want to do? We want to gravitate towards gratitude. How can we do that? Find the fibs, identify the lies, and replace with grace. I want to invite you to stand to your feet as we close out the service this morning. If you've been watching online, thank you so much for joining us. I pray you can reflect on what we've talked about today and ask the Holy Spirit to work. And that's what we're going to do now in this time as we reflect in person.